Joan Jett once said, It was a social thing, what women were allowed to do. At a very young age, I decided I was not going to follow women's rules. And Joan Jett didn't follow social rules. Nor did Susie Quattro, Patti Smith, Kathleen Hanna, The Go-Go's, and hundreds of other ass-kicking, cord-smashing, gender-bending, glass-ceiling-breaking female rockers. In this set, the Bonsai Boys, Jay and Travis, explore questions such as what ingredients do ladies add to rock and roll? What unique challenges did they face? And what makes them so damn cool? Welcome to the Ladies of Rock set. So Jay, I gotta, uh, I'm gonna admit something to you. I was thinking about this earlier today and I was like, should I admit this? I don't know if I should admit this. Uh, I think I'm we're in a part of our relationship where you, you can admit do this. Freely. Okay. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know if you're gonna still want to podcast with me after this. <laughs> I want to take a sip of coffee, get my courage up. <laughs> <sighs> ASMR. ASMR. Yeah, that's it. So Jay, um, the first concert that I ever went to in my life was a Lisa Loeb concert. Okay. Okay. Hey, yeah. I, I, I'm a, for, so when you were going to say Lisa, I thought it was like Lisa Lisa and Cult Jam. Oh, that would have been cooler, I think. Uh, My first concert was a Lisa Kudrow concert. She played Smelly Cat for <laughs> two hours. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know what? And my sister took me to it. It was one of those things where uh, we were visiting Arizona in the summer and it was at the uh, Cajun House. In Scottsdale, remember that really? old venue? Remember that venue? Ah, Looked like a little Cajun house. It had like a little street on there, and then the bars to the side of it. And I, I must have been an all ages show because I was probably like twelve or something. And uh, she was going with some family friends, and they're like, "You gotta take your brother." And you could tell they did not want to take me. That's the last thing I wanted to do because they, hate they were like, like sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, and uh, yeah, they took me and. Uh, you know, I smoked with the ghost in the back of my head. Um, all those Lisa Loeb things. Actually, I will say that the opening band is still a guy I love named Steve Poltz of the Rugburns. He was kind of in that alternative, almost like alternative comedy scene. And he used to write a lot of, huh. he used to write a lot of Jewel songs. Anyways, he was up there and he really? opened the set. I'm like, this is hilarious. And then when Lisa Loeb came on, I listened to like the two ones that I knew. And then I went to go watch uh, South Park when it was playing at the bar. So uh, <laughs> it was a good night. That good, huh? Yeah. What was your what was your first concert a female rocker by chance? No, it was Motley like, Crue. Kind of. I mean, these are guys trying to be female rockers. <laughs> I think they had female like backup singers. I think they had a couple of. Oh, you mean girls, girls, girls? Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> One of the same. <laughs> do you think the Bali crew ever, when they brought out their female backers, do you think they ever introduced them by name? Yeah, All right, they and, did. oh, did okay. Uh huh. Yeah, okay, yeah. Good. They 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 went through and they introduced everybody, including them. They're like, "All right, here we go on backups. We've got girl, girl, girls. <laughs> Three of them. <laughs> That's good. At least they have some musicianship. That would be shitty if they were like, and yeah, the girls in the back." Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they they shine my leather pants afterwards. You know, body crew are really are feminist. You think so? <laughs> <laughs> I fell for that. I'm such a sucker. Yeah, before uh, you know, before the Beastie Boys started getting into like feminism, uh it was Motley Crue was holding it down for all the all the rockers. Yeah, before that kiss. Yeah, before that kiss, kiss definitely, yeah. Yep. You got a suffragette in Detroit. Those are the original lyrics to that. You got a suffragette in Detroit. <laughs> got a suffragette in Detroit. And they're like, hey, guys, you know, listen. They're, they're, I think it was their manager who was like, listen, I know that you guys are really into, you know, second wave feminism and, you know, all, all the uh, like horses, horses, horses and all that stuff coming out of New York <laughs> and these ladies. But like. You're a party band. Like, let's celebrate that, you know? And then, you know how Gene Simmons is. He's he's all about, like, the commercial appeal. So, you know, he had to sell his soul a little bit. That's why he became the demon. 
That's, that's actually the story of how he became a demon. He was a feminist, and then he let the record labels talk him into selling out his feminist ideals for party music, and uh, he became the demon. That's his soul. rock history right there. Welcome to the Pop Bonsai Podcast. Bonsai! the rails real quick <laughs> all right jay we are we are neck deep we're not we're not we're not completely drowning in the ladies of rock set but we are we i mean we've got two episodes behind us we are in the third episode of our four-part series the ladies of rock we've done patty smith's horses album horses horses horses, horses we've done horses. a Dare I say plethora? Just shy of a plethora. I would say we're oh, we yeah. did just shy of a plethora of Lady Rock Docs uh, on Joan Jett, on Kathleen Hanna, on the Go Go's, on Susie Quattro. Now, Jay, mm-hmm. we are entering our third set, and we always do a film. What film we got on deck today? This time. We're going to be talking about a film called Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains. Oh, you got to do it. You got to say it like, Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains. I can't can't do that. You know, I I laughed to myself earlier because my son uh, has been uh, wanting a haircut. We just haven't had time to get him a hair. It's the past couple of weeks. Like we're ogres. We we get a haircut. But he, he has got full on like Beatles rubber sole. Oh, haircut. nice, nice. And and I told him that I, I was like, yeah, look at look up Rubber Soul. And anyway, and I and I thought about you and your your Beatles impression. I'm like, I'm not even gonna try it. I can't do it. <laughs> Dad, I need a haircut, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the kids at school are starting to make fun of me. <laughs> you do it's horrible. Oh, it's it's funny. Better than I can do. It's the only English accent I know. I was what was I trying to do? I was trying to do something with my buddy the other day and it came out uh oh, I think I was trying to do um like an island accent, like a Jamaican accent, and it was coming out like Yaman <laughs> right by the beach boy. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, we we so we watched so you- ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous Steins. Yep. Uh, came out in 1982, and it's uh, <clears throat> starring Ray Winstone, uh, Diane Lane. Oh, wow! You really put Ray Win- you put Ray Winstone for Diane Lane in a, a series called The Ladies of Rock, and you went ahead and should, okay, you first built. That. Let's yeah, you should you should try that you again. That. Yeah, go ahead. Understand. Yeah, definitely, definitely gonna. Uh, Jay, I'm definitely gonna take the time to go and find that little snippet and edit it out. You can count on me. Okay. Okay, I believe I, I believe you. You trust. Okay, me. so here we go again. Here we go again. Diane Lane and a bunch of other jerks. <laughs> there we go. There you go. I, yeah. Who knows? Oh, uh, uh, Laura Dern. Laura Dern. And then a bunch of other. jerks. I love so. seeing a, a young Laura Dern. Yeah, yeah. Young Laura Dern pretty, is pretty wild at heart. Yeah, Laura L- young Laura Dern, which is also very hard to say. Young Laura Dern is like she'll rickroll you. Like, you'll be watching a movie, and then you're like, oh my god, it's young Laura Dern. <laughs> Never gonna yeah, give she, you up. Pretty good. I mean, everybody was pretty good in this, I, I thought. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that's it. That's our review. Um, yep. well, let me see. Everybody let me, let me go. Swell. Th- let me go through a couple other things here on this movie. Uh, it, as Jay said, it is 1992. Uh, it stars Diane Lane, uh, kind of uh, Dewey protagonist in uh, Ray Winston, who plays Billy. And then, as Jay said, oh, we got um, Paul Simeon. Mm-hmm. Um, Best oh. dressed man in role. Later on, I'm going to give a major shout out to 
Christine Lottie as Aunt Linda. Oh, I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna. I'm gonna give. I'm putting that there now. And I'm looking at her, her cover, her headshot. This has got to be old because uh-huh. I'm like, there's no way that she's 1982. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. Um, and it was directed by Lou Adler and written by Nancy Dowd. And I want to check out Lou Adler. Um, he did Rocky Horror. He did smoke. Rocky Horror Picture Show, and he did Cheech and Chong Up in Smoke. He did The Witness. Uh, but you know, uh, there is some Rocky Horror Picture Show elements in this, at least certainly in the costuming. I think. Yeah, a lot of <laughs> a lot of eye makeup going on in this movie. Yeah. Now you had seen this movie so, before, Jay? Correct. Uh huh. You said uh huh. A few or, times. I uh-uh. said uh huh. Okay. A few times. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, when was the last uh, time you saw it? Ooh, maybe like t- about. Oop! Lost you there for a second. Say it again. Oh, about ten years ago. Okay, ten years ago. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I was. You know, it's my first time watching this film. You know what I was? What struck me the most is, I guess. I knew it was an, uh, uh, I figured it was an 80s film, but it might, could have been a 90s film, I was thinking, from the trailer. And then when I saw mm-hmm. it was 1982, it doesn't feel like a 1982 movie to me. It, it, no. It's like post Robert Altman in the way that they're kind of using sound and the way they're kind of moving the camera. It feels a lot, a lot like Robert Altman to me, but it feels like the film was shot really well. For like, and I'm like, would this be considered an independent film in 1982? Because the subject matter certainly feels like an independent film, but the way they shot it feels like a big budget 1980 or like a, a medium budget 1982 film. Well, <clears throat> from what I've read, it was it had the intention of of being distributed well. But there was a lot of uh, infighting, and it didn't test well. In there, there were some test audiences, and it tested horribly. Mm. Um, and that's why you got that that really bad ending of them basically becoming the Go Go's. Go Go's, yeah, yeah. That's what exactly what I thought. I was like, ooh, this really sheds a new light on that Go Go's documentary. And, and yeah, and so if you um, if you look on IMDb. It says writing credits, Nancy Dowd, and then it says as Robert Morton because mm. she did not want her name associated with this movie after they added those the, the ending. And so well, we're going to talk about that ending later because I, I didn't think that was a real I didn't take that as reality. Were we supposed yeah. to? Yeah, I didn't at all. I don't know. I, yeah, okay. Yeah, let's talk. I, I, I okay. want to hear your. Take all right. On. So I guess we should probably because it is a probably not a at least by people of our generation maybe maybe not a highly seen movie. So maybe we should break down this plot a little bit. So, ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous stains follows, and you you've seen it more than me, so you can jump in here. Um, when I make, I'll, I'll start us off and I'll let you take over. So it follows our main protagonist. Uh, Corinne, Corinne Burns. That's who Diane Lane plays. And it opens up on this young girl. She's what, in her teens, I would say, in this? Uh, yeah, late yeah, teens. Late teens, uh-huh. yeah. And it opens up with her, and somehow at the beginning of this movie, she had she had gotten popular for like an interview. They were doing like her, her small town, like Charleston or, or somewhere, and she, somehow she had gotten on, she had gotten like a f- little 15 minutes of fame where she was just so apathetic to society and how she talked about people in the world that uh, the talking heads of the media were like, this girl is like, rem- uh, you know, uh, marking her generation and like how all yeah. this stuff was and and being very, uh, you know, just cantankerous, like a can- cantankerous teen who was just like... Mm-hmm nothing matters you're all sheep and uh all all that you know with that kind of punk rock attitude and yeah. and she happens to be in a band with her um sister her sister uh-huh. her sister uh-huh. and her cousin 
and they are called the Stains. And um, she goes to this punk show where a punk band called the Looters is playing. And the Stains are a horrible band. They can bear, like none of them can play their instruments. They don't even have a yeah. drummer. Um, and they've only rehearsed like five times. But somehow uh, she talks her way on getting the stains on the looters. The looters isn't a great band either. They're kind of like a UK punk band that, that right there, that end of the seventies era, UK punk band. Uh, and they're doing a tour of the United States. Um, and that band, the looters are headlining for like this aging rock band called like the metal Lords or something like that. Yeah, and metal, metal corpse, metal corpse. Yeah. Metal corpse. And so they end up, so basically the story follows the stains, especially uh Corrine Corrine or Corinne? Corrine Burns. Corinne. Corinne, Corinne, yeah. Corinne makes more sense. Corbin Bernstein. Uh <laughs> sexy. Northern exposure. Um <laughs> uh kind of going as the stains begin to rise in popularity because of Burns's uh, you know despondent nature on stage and her antics she's kind of like a uh a wendy um who am i thinking wendy of? williams wendy williams kind of character Plus not pattern. as extreme as that um and you know there is like a cult following but there's no talent behind it and it's kind of the the quick rise and fall of an untalented band with a a a female lead mm -hmm. for lack of a better word mm -hmm. that's kind of like mm -hmm. the quick rundown yeah, I was really impressed because I didn't see this till like the early 90s. And I was really impressed at some of the concepts that they came, you know, like a lot of the feminist concepts that seem like exactly what like Bikini Kill was doing too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it's you know? funny you said you saw it in the early 90s. It really is uh, the uh, that thing you do of 1982. <laughs> That feel good, yeah. You know, stains. Only Tom Hanks stains Tom on Hanks all your shoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, yeah. Uh, I wanted to comment on what you just said there. You, were you, were you what did you say? It was about bikini kill. Yeah, there was so much of that in there. It almost felt like uh, when you see that Kathleen Hannah doc. The stuff that she was doing seems almost ripped directly from Diane Lane's character in the Fabulous Stains. I mean, even some of the outfits, like the panties, you know. and then just like that, and then the hairstyle, and then the admonishing the audience as you're performing, being like, "You all suck. You just want." Uh, oh, how about this one? I mean, Riot Girls. Nothing says Riot Girl Girls more than her slogan of "We don't put out" or "I don't put yeah. out." Uh huh. I was sitting there and I'm, I don't, it made me hate Kathleen Hannah even more. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't start third wave feminism. The fabulous fucking Stain started uh, third wave femi feminism. She, Kathleen Hannah needs to, to send some people some checks. Yeah. Yeah. At least, uh, you know, some shout outs every now and again, but like, even like the, the, the other, like her sister's hair, like I'm like, gosh, that's that looks exactly like the way uh, like Slater Kenny wore their hair mm -hmm. too. You know, it's like, geez. Well, that, I think that's what strikes me the most, and what I enjoyed the most about this film is the look of it. Not just uh, you know the the costuming and and their view of like punk and like these dingy bars, but also like the film stock they used, how they moved the camera. Um, their maison scene what they chose to put inside a room like when they're backstage it felt more authentic than some of these yeah. movies can feel like when you're just like in this little shitty ass dressing room even when you're playing like a big stage the dressing rooms are still shitty back there uh and it was just a really cool look of seeing that early 80s punk rock style like outside a Safeway in a parking lot or out, you know, <laughs> taking these, these traditionally punk rock dressed up dirty characters and putting them in very common everyday American settings. 
I thought that was really cool yeah. and had a really good look to it. Yeah, yeah. I, I loved that they used actual British punk band for, you know, just the way they spoke. You know, they call each other tossers and, yeah. you know, and just the, the slang that they, like, Steve Jones would use. And, yeah. Because it was Steve Jones and Paul Cook from the Sex Pistols, mm -hmm. and, and Paul Simonon was bass player Clash. for Clash. Um, but they were in Paul Simonon and, or uh, uh, Steve Jones and Paul Cook were in a band called The Professionals post sex pistols oh so that song was already written you think uh-huh yeah it was a professional song um and uh but they had ray winston is it winston or winston uh, i i i oh, i say ray winston i think that's the ghostbuster oh yeah yes you are correct boy your pop culture's like references are <laughs> on par tonight normally it's like and then the guy from that thing <laughs> Oh yeah, so Ray at the in the middle of the the third act, a ghost shows up, and they're like, "Oh, we gotta bust this ghost." They're like, -na 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 -na. <laughs> <laughs> "Yeah." So the look of so, it was so cool, and I could see how it affected so much of these later coming female rockers uh, because they must have seen this film. Oh yeah, oh yeah, um, yeah. Even though like. I still, you know, with, with the internet and everybody unearthing everything from the past, I still, you know, when I see lists of, uh, you know, best punk rock movies or movies about punk rock or whatever, this rarely comes up. Mm -mm. The only reason I saw it is because, again, as a, a youngster, as a young teen, um, I had no friends and I'd sit there and watch TV 24-7 and it was on TV. It was on like the USA network or something at like two o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, what's this? I, I, yeah. I was like, what's this? It's a great title Crazy for a film. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And so uh, I saw it and then I tried seeing it again. I, I, you know, and then I tried when, when VH, you know, people started putting out stuff on VHS, I tried to find it on VHS and I never could. Um, I finally found a bootleg copy. My wife got me like a total bootleg copy of it. And so I'd watch that. Um, but I don't even know if it's ever, I'm not sure if it's ever been released like officially on VHS or, or Blu-ray. Or well, DVD I watched or... it. I got it on, I streamed it. I bought it on Amazon. Um, yeah. Yeah, me too. Uh, and got it on there. And it's good quality. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't say it's maybe it's good remastered, but I, it doesn't feel like the original, it doesn't feel like they just printed it from the stock. It feels like they went in and, and sweetened it a little bit to, oh, to make it. Oh, you think so? Yeah, it just seems it still has that kind of graininess like from that film, but it looks like it was sharpened up a little bit, I would say. Um Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I haven't I don't I don't hear I don't hear anyone talk about this film. And it feels really prescient the fact that, you know, 70s UK punk had just had its heyday not but four or five years earlier than that. So for Hollywood <laughs> yeah. to put the money, this doesn't feel like it's not um, suburbia. Uh, not so. Well, I'm not thinking of. Am I thinking of suburbia? The the yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Where it's like, it's all amazing. right, yeah, grab a camera and let's just shoot this shit. You know, this feels like. I mean, we're getting some. I mean, not huge actors at that time, but we're getting real musicians. It's a road trip movie. We're taking it to several different locations. We're getting professional sound people and grips. It just feels like, yeah. wow, this might be like the first like budget budgeted punk rock Hollywood film. You know, I think you may be right. Well, because see, I, I'm a, a much bigger fan of the UK punk, the 70s UK punk. I, the, early Cal, the early 80s California stuff, it's really hit or miss for me. I'm not a big Black Flag fan. A germs, not a LA big Guns fan. Yeah. LA Guns, yes. Yeah. <laughs> germs, no. uh, but yeah, I, they're okay, you know. But I'm not, you know, I'm not a huge fan. So when when this came out and I heard those guys, I'm like, this is what I like. But like you said, it that kind of punk was already kind of on the outs. Yeah, you know. And and everybody wanted the you know the black flag and the, yeah. the circle jerks and Agent Oranges and the you know stuff like that. stuff like that. Which, Agent Oranges sounded funny. Which the <laughs> the Looters is such a great title for that band. Uh, what what? Yeah. Okay, so there's two Looter songs in this. There's Professional, right? And then there's mm -hmm. the one they play 
uh, at the end in the Coliseum, which I forget the title of it. Um, uh, like your cons. Uh, Think about cons. Your cons. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Which one did you like better? Well, the first one I I know is a, a professional song. It's Steve Jones' song. I kind of like the last one. Me too. I thought that was a little better. I like the last one. I was like, oh man, that's like like they're really like, especially after like you know the, like then he does a speech after it. Wait, does he play this? Uh-huh. Does he play this song about being con? Yeah, he plays a song about being conned, uh-huh. and then he gives him the speech. Oh, great speech. Um, oh yeah. Right, I, 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 well, I don't want I don't want to jump ahead. So let's talk about let, let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about um, uh, a couple of the main points on here. So let's talk about Diane Lane. This is kind of her vehicle along with Ray Winstone. I think that Ray Winstone, honestly, in the first act, after we get introduced to Diane Lane's character, maybe more the second act, Ray Winstone is it's kind of like his movie a little bit there, and then. It's it's Diane Lane's movie at the beginning, and then at the, at the I, I don't know Diane Lane as a punk rocker, is she doing it? Oh yeah, she's selling it. Oh yeah, oh yeah, dude. I, there's her. I don't know if it was just maybe the age. She was like the right age. She had uh, <clears throat> the right look. I mean, they, you know, and and she tapped that ferocity. You know, I mean, do that. I, I bought into it. Yeah, she had you this know, this hooked. this feeling about her that was <clears throat> like you bought that she was. Well, there's a turn in her character where it goes from. She plays, I guess I should say, not a turn, but she walks this line really well. She gives a lot of depth because at times you really feel like she's being genuine about her disdain for just kind of like the rules of society and how men treat women and uh, the idea of art in general. But then when she starts to get popular and she starts to see the adoration of people and she's also sucked into, she loves having the attention, right? There's a sense that there's such disdain for all of it, but then she also loves the attention. And again, that's what we were kind of talking about with some of the issues with Kathleen Hanna that we were talking about in that doc where it's, it's, it's tough to, to regulate that out, you know, because the true essence, I guess we would say of the idea of punk is that you don't crave the attention. You're just being yourself and publicly. Yeah. 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 You're just there to reflect it back on to the, and so there is some of that and Diane Lane plays that really well when she is being like, Oh, her punk rock self and she's getting up there and the audience is like, you know, like heckling her. And she, instead of getting off the stage, she like doubles down. Right. And it's like, Oh, that awkward, embarrassing, like she's just being a punk. But then there's times where she's, you know, making choices that sell out, you know, her fellow punk rockers, like the looters and stuff like that. Um, that are that are just un, very unpunk. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I loved the reaction of of the looters when. Okay, so what Travis is, uh, is talking about is we've been so betrayed. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then and then and then Steve Jones kind of like looked at him. He's like, "You wanker! She learned it somewhere. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> she's doing it better than you do it." Yeah. 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 Like, like it didn't seem like, I mean, they were surprised. Yeah. It didn't he, seem like they were that pissed, he gets up and like slams you know? his hand down the bottom. We've been betrayed. <laughs> <laughs> and then they let her perform it again. Like at the Coliseum. She's oh, yeah. like, that's not our song anymore. Yeah. Yeah. She just kind of stole it from him. Yeah. Um, but so one thing that I, I can't, the, the, the thought I can't shake is, do you think, um, she it would have turned out this way if if uh, ray would have oh, i don't even call him that's his real name if if billy yeah. if billy who was the lead singer of the of the looters would have kind of taken her under his wing to begin with instead of well the thing know, is the thing is afterwards. he shouldn't have she shouldn't have been on that tour they sucked. Why? Like they weren't a good well, punk. Like they, yeah. the the girls in their first performance couldn't even play their instruments. 
right? Her, she didn't even have like songs. It was yeah, real it was... Patty Smith in a way there for a second. <laughs> I Horses. thought it sounded like a look like an early lookout band. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like when he's like, what the fuck? Like, you guys suck. And he's like, maybe if you try really hard for a couple of years, you might have something because you got the energy and you've got the look. Right. He even says that to her. He's like, I like your hair. He goes, that's that's about it. He's And she's like, what else you like about me? And he's like, that's about it for now you know yeah. and that's that's it and it's just kind of like you know there's no reason for him to, it's not like they came up in the scene together or that you know she's yeah. from his hometown or that she has even there's no conversation where she's like oh i love this and this music and this music and punk rock means this to me and it's like in my soul and like i have to say that i you know i i, I want to do what you guys are doing or i have to express myself there was nothing like that. It was just kind of like she wanted people to just kind of give her attention. Well, she wanted to escape. Yeah. She wanted to escape her hometown. It was is basically that too. Okay. That that too. Even I think like, even more so than the attention. She just wanted to get out of the suburban doldrum. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but if you remember, he was kind of a jerk from the get go. Like even when she. You know, when she came into the room and she's like, hey, um, how, you know, how do you, how does somebody like get on your bill or how does somebody audition? And he just like got up and left. You know, yeah. I'm going to defend Billy. I'm going to defend Billy again there. This is after the show where he finds out like it's great when the, the old metal band gets on with some great performances with the, the actors in that old metal band, Metal Corpse. Uh, and he's, he doesn't realize who he's opening for on this show. And then when they're playing, he's like, you've got fucking, fucking white guys. <laughs> like he hates his, uh, the band he's opening for. And he calls his agent. He's like, what are you doing to me here? And so he's, he's in a heightened state of agitation already. And then this girl comes yeah. in and is like, what do I have to do to get on your, your, your bill? Uh, and he, <laughs> so I'm defending Billy. I'm defending Billy. Okay. Billy, yeah, Billy apologist. Billy, like, um, yeah, Billy, uh, like, uh, Motley Crue is a early feminist. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it, it doesn't excuse what she did, of course, but yeah. So, you do you think his speech was justified? We kind of, oh, went over what I we love, did, you know? I love his speech, uh, because I think his speech, well, I think his speech was very ahead of its time uh oh, yeah super ahead of its time it felt like it oh, felt yeah. like something that would be in a movie in 2010 or like 2000 with like like girl like, like you know like post green day like post yeah green post, day, post green day, day you know like a britney spears or who's the um california girls that's how i'm gonna bound down bound 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 down, down top i don't know oh um, I don't recognize that too. No, it's like um, God, what's her name? Like a firework. Da-da-da-da-da. Oh, uh, so, so uh, Katy Perry. Katy Perry, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Katy Perry. Uh, it feels like a speech where you know these women who who do music have so much of this machine around them that how much of it is programming, like. Yeah, you're listening to music, but you're also buying their makeup line, and you're buying their they they their designer line t-shirts, of clothes. You're merch, buying their t-shirts, yeah. their posters. Uh, you're buying you know all their their concert tours where it's you know. And when he sings, comes out, he's just like you. But first, he start off with this. I'm glad they start off with the song first and not the speech, and then he goes into it, it's like yo, Ben Con. He's just like he gives this. He gives the, the song to be like, this is what it should sound like. This is what this shit sounds like. And they're, the girls in the audience are all dressed like skunks. Skunks is what they call people who dress like Burns in this with the their fans, hair. Yeah. So they all dress in red and they have their hair. You think that's where the White Stripes got their name from? I thought about that. When, when, especially when he said, when they're sitting at the tour bus, he goes, Just you're nothing but a, a white couple stripes. white stripes. You know, yeah. White stripes. And then they're red and black and white. <gasps> oh yeah. and there's and there's no like it's like very limited band i wonder i wonder if they were if the band was from the if the band was from detroit i would definitely say it. they definitely took it but <laughs> you know they watch that shit too you know 
Uh, oh, yeah. Jack and Mary White watched the fabulous stains for sure. Of course. Uh, of course. So that speech was was so. It felt like 14 year old me giving that speech. Like now I don't really care as much. Like spend them like if you like the band, you want to spend oh, your money yeah. or your parents money on them. And your parents will give you the money. Yeah, whatever. I mean, who cares if that it's if it's created, if you like it, spend your money on it, you know, whatever. But back but then, they're being so close-minded, though. I mean, they wouldn't even listen to him. You know, they wouldn't even listen to the other bands. They're just like, no, no, we. This is all we want. You yeah. know, it's like, it's like I'm. I'm wondering if if they would have listened to him, would he have delivered that speech? You know, would they have genuinely, if they had, if they hadn't been so against anyone but the Stains, would they have like enjoyed that set? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would like to think so. I mean, how if you're the stains, <laughs> if you're the stains, how do you follow that act? Because they can not play their instruments. I don't know how many songs they have, but they have a, a stadium full of people going to see them. Now, by the end, to be to be fair though, by the end when they when they start playing after the looters at the end, there's they do sound a little bit better. Like the the bass yeah. is a little bit, and she does a little percussion. It know. sounds more like a band you would hear today, like a like a kind of like a like a hipster garage garage band type thing, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want to call it a hipster band, just a garage band. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I I thought that was a really great speech. That was one of my highlights. I would say another highlight for me, and maybe the the highlight of it all is. So there's a character we don't see very much. I mentioned her earlier. It is um, uh, Aunt Linda. Aunt Lin- so as we said, there's the two sisters in the band, and then there's a cousin. And the cousin uh, has their mom's name is Linda. And Burns' mother di- passed away, so Linda is kind of like taking like taking ownership of her. And, you know, she gives this kind of shitty speech to the kids at the beginning where she's just being like, ah, what are you guys doing? Like, you know get a direction in your life or whatever it is, the classic, uh, you know, parent to parental well, yeah. figure speech. But yeah. in the third act, they are, as the stains are getting big, they've just gotten big and they see an interview with Aunt Linda on television and they let Aunt Linda have a good five minute monologue, I would say. Yeah. It's probably about a five minute monologue where she is talking about how she treated her daughters the way her mother treated her and how proud she is of them breaking the cycle, how proud that Burns' mother would be of those two kids. And she's doing this. She's got a cigarette in her hand and she's, you know, the camera and she's shaky and she's trying she's to keep it. Up. She's yeah. trying, she's tearing up, but she's trying to keep it together. She looks fantastic as far as just like this woman who's just, you know, seen better days and, and is having this moment. And it was so touching and so well done that I'm surprised mm-hmm. I have not seen that monologue before. Yeah. Um, honestly like i didn't even remember that part yeah and i I was watching i'm like gosh that's so it's so genuine and so touching that i mean she just laid i mean she laid it all out Mm -hmm. it was it was just truth you know she just bared her soul and and uh yeah yeah and and the the girls in the band like you say were watching and I mean, they were affected by it too. It, oh yeah, it's a, it's a it's a two shot cut. It's her, and then it cuts to the girls watching every now and then. Otherwise, it's an uninterrupted monologue, and the girls' reaction to it is really great too because they're standing in like a storefront window, um, and so it's got this really great look to it. Yeah, great, great scene. I would pull that mon if I wasn't mm-hmm. you know teaching younger kids. I would pull that monologue out and give it to, to uh, you know for monologue studies for for kids. Or for for really? act, for actors, I think it's a good one, um, because you have to go. She has to go through that change because at first she starts, and you think it's going to be the typical like I don't know what went wrong with her. Uh, you know, I I she's she changes it when they ask her the question: Has has Corinne always been a problem, or has Corinne always been wild, something like that? Mm-hmm. And then yeah. that's where she 
flips it. She's like, well, I'm going to be honest with you. And you think it's going to be like, this child has always been a problem. And like, she does what she wants. And I've never been in the controller. And it's just this generation. And that's when she flips it and starts saying like, yeah, she's been herself. And thank goodness, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought it was really interesting how, um, the, not to change the, the hmm. go down a different road, but I think it was really interesting how um, even from the, the early early parts of the stains how women were kind of taken by her message like women were like mm, you're kind of you know they're kind of, and then and, then, and a lot of the men were totally put off by it you know um especially that like we were talking about the the reporters it was a a male reporter that just could not understand her appeal. I mean, you know, he, he was great too. He was a great actor. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, he was. You know really, what that? Like, you know what that reminded me of? There was a lot of those media talking heads. It reminded me of the Dark Knight Returns, and this was pre Dark Knight Returns. Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, where he uses that talking heads because they have oh, they have yeah. they have the female news anchor and they have the male news anchor. And before the female anchor leaves. It's her and him going back and forth in this kind of fake news anchory thing where they're kind of insulting each other and demeaning each oh, other. Great. And it felt the the cadence and the language felt so much like Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns to me. The way those reporters would go at it. Um and I was like, I wonder if Frank Miller I feel like the fact a lot of people watch the Fabulous Stains and stole from this movie. <laughs> I can see Frank Miller watching this. Oh, yeah. Easy. But yeah, it was great when they're, like you were saying, they're trying to insult, you know, they're kind of fighting on air, but not, you know, without actually going and being full on insulting. But I love the, which she goes, that's funny. You know, you're on the air once, you know, an hour every day, and I don't see anybody trying to be like you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was a little bit uh, Anchorman, Ron Burgundy as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah, that was great. And then that anchor just disappears. It's almost like she's like, and she's gone to her. It, I, it's the idea of like, she got, like, she promoted, got pop popular. Yeah. yeah. And he's just so bitter. He's like, what's happening? All these women in the world. And then <laughs> at the end, he gets to interview just one on one, um, uh, Kareen and, uh, and she starts like kind of laying into him and giving her, and he's like, "That's what I thought you would say, something like that." Well, it is shocking, isn't it? Well, that's what. What else could we expect? That's what you're trying to put out there, you know. And he dresses her down by just kind of dismissing her attitude as something that is manufactured. Right, right. Just a selling point. And but honestly, I don't I think the movie ends with a clear line that this wasn't manufactured that it seems like, I don't know. And maybe this applies to kind of, I think maybe what these, especially women had to deal with like Joan Jett, like we see with Joan Jett and Susie Quattro as well. Um, uh, and the runaways it's, if you come with a seed of attitude, then these, machines these corporate machines are like ooh, there's a seed of that let's take that and let's exploit that uh -huh. and so you're not allowed to just be you you have to be the most exaggerated version of yourself and i wonder if that's what female artists struggle with is that like a lady gaga when she first came out it's like so she's a bit eccentric and so she does something she'll wear a meat dress like once and they're like oh that's it so now you always have to be a 10 you always right. have to be the extreme version of yourself, right? If Joan Jett throws up on stage, it's like, oh, now you always have to do that. Yeah, or, or now you have to top it. Every, you know, what are you going to do to top that? What are you going to do to top that? You right, know, yeah, whereas male, male rockers maybe are allowed to be a little bit more self-directed and a little bit more uh, uh, mysterious uh, as far as that's concerned. They can kind of self-direct their image more so than... Uh, female artists maybe i think that's changing but yeah. i think certainly certainly as we're talking about like the, this this stage of ladies really kind of fronting rock and roll bands and groups um i think they just probably had less control over where their image went could be it could be but uh, yeah i i like how 
it wasn't like cut and dry <clears throat> as far as what her message was. It's like, yeah, you know, and you could maybe blame it on the manager or whatever that just try to, uh, you know, commercialize it and, and yeah, it backfired. But the ending, what we were talking about is how she kind of looks around and, and she kind of realizes, Hey, what I, cause, cause I believe that the, her message was genuine. I, I think she really did believe all that. Mm -hmm. um, and then it just got to the point where, you know, it was just i don't know i don't know what she wanted afterwards i don't know if she wanted to, she just wanted to get bigger and bigger and bigger and she'd do anything to just so let's know, become a rock star. let's talk about that end we hinted at earlier so yeah, yeah. after that big concert you know where uh billy blows up so he gives that billy gives that big speech and it works the audience is like right. hears him and they're like wait they're looking around at each other they're like look at you where do you think that hair dye came from? How much you pay for it? And they're like, whoa, how much did I pay for the hair dye? You're a bunch of sheep, right? Skunks. Uh, and then the, he leaves. They get all quiet. The stains come out. And they're like, well, thanks for coming out and supporting us. And then they're like, boo! Uh, yeah. And so they get basically booed. And then that show ends. Billy comes out and he's like, I'm sorry I had to blow up his spot, love. But like, if you want to come and travel with the Ludas, you can travel with me. And she's like, what? And be your... Now, let me ask you a question. I, I didn't understand this. The other two girls in the stains, were they picked up? Because the manager's on the phone after the concert. And he's trying to sell. He goes, I got these two... Uh, uh, they're cousins. And, you know, there's these two cousins and they're great. And they're, at, they're ready to go out on the road right now. And... Because when, when Burns comes into the dressing room, the girls are writing like a, an apology note and lipstick in her dressing room. Like, we're sorry, we got to go. And then the manager is talking about having two girls. And he calls them co their cousins. He goes, oh, these two girls, yeah, they're cousins. Yeah. <clears throat> so what I read it as is that the manager sees the writing on the wall. He strips the band apart and is trying to sell it for parts now. So he's like, all right, you know, this chick is gone. I still <laughs> got I still got these two that I can sell as like a cousin duo backing, you know, attitude thing. Um, and then uh, Billy comes in and is like, hey, if you want to be if you want to come with me on the tour. And she's like, I'm, I'm just going to be your groupie. And then yeah. he gets on the bus and leaves. And then she sees a group of girls who are still rocking the skunk look and she laughs mm -hmm. and that's where the movie ends which and, should have ended <laughs> and then it kicks in and we see as jay was talking about this this montage this music video of the stains being like the go-go's where they're like all dressed up and they're in these like cheeky little videos and and very yeah. mtv and the, the sounds poppier and all that and i read that as like a dream sequence like a alternate reality like if this where where the stains would have gone how this could have easily what honestly what billy stopped from happening yeah yeah um yeah i okay so i really that uh, didn't put I, I didn't put two and two together i, I remember the, the manager talking on the phone about the cousins and, but i just thought that was a, just a completely unrelated thing he was talking about but it does track with the fact that you about the when they were writing that on the mirror and she kind of and, and diane lane comes walks in and looks at it and just kind of has this really and they're dismissed dismissive yeah and, and, yeah, so that that makes sense. I think you're right. I think that's what happened. And and so yeah, and, and then that ending was like, oh, this is a, a a display of what could have been kind of thing. Like it feels like in the movie, it feels like they were going to end the movie like with them like selling out and doing that. And so they shot that stuff, and then they just like, well, it ended differently. What are we going to do? Let's just. Uh taking a different route well supposedly um if i if i remember this correctly supposedly 
um, <clears throat> it did end when when uh, Diane Lane looked and saw those girls still dressed in skunk and then in the skunk outfits and stuff. And it tested with audiences really poorly. And so they decided to go to bring everybody back and shoot that video montage thing to put in the end is basically like, look, it wasn't a bad ending. Look, they did become rock stars. Um, Yay, everybody celebrate. Yeah, I mean, you could read it like that, I guess. Like they ended up getting back together and, and you know, doing that thing. But I like it to be like, she sees that. It kind of does that that weird freeze frame. And then you see this video on there. Um yeah, I no, I, li- I like that too. I like that too. I I, I think it w- it ended where it should have ended, and I think that should be a thing where like you know maybe like a daydream or. Something and again, else. I hate to go back to the Dark Knight Returns, but it reminds me of the <laughs> the bat the bat disciples. You know the ones that change every like first they were the uh, the mutants, and then when Batman beats the head mutant, they all become the sons of Batman, and they all start wearing different face paint and stuff like that. But there's a few. That's that's kind of what that reminds me of the way they were all like wow. that disciple, and I and that's an '80s thing too. I wonder if that was just really sewn into '80s cult. And maybe you know, I said it seemed ahead of its time, but maybe it's not. Maybe I just wasn't. Well, I wasn't born in '82, um, and just I think around the pulse at that time. Uh, but maybe that was with mtv coming out and the idea of selling out your ideals for money and how quickly teens don't jump on new trends and jump off old trends it must have been in the zeitgeist of that at that moment there was a lot of, of that i can see a lot of that like like being sheep like you know think for yourself don't be a follower be original be, yeah being the, the invention of, of the mall now. where you can go and get your uniforms you know Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Huh. So yeah, I think that was in the air then. I mean, like you mean, like you said, I was seven years old in '82, <laughs> yeah. so I, I didn't quite, you know, capture the zeitgeist like I, th- you know, wish wish I would have. But you know, looking back at stuff, I see it. You know. Yeah. No, I I I I'll say one more thing. I want to mention because I feel like I got to mention this guy. I don't think he was the best actor in there. He had a scene that didn't go off really great but i love the reggae manager are you talking about his monologue his his yeah yeah he has a great scene well let's talk about he has a great scene in his last one of his last scenes with uh corinne is uh corinne i don't want to call it corinne corinne is he's playing the arcade game and she basically fires him and what does he say he says um well he he said she says i want my contract back and he goes i don't know he basically said you can have your contract back i mean i'm maybe i'm reading too much into this he kind of says you can have your contract back because what you're going to do yourself is far more he says here's what he says he says come see us sometime is different than comes come live with us yeah come see us sometime is different than come live with us and i was like and, he, and they, they really spot the that line. I'm like, what does that mean in the context of this movie? Come see us sometime is different than come live with us. And I wonder if that's like the idea of 15 minutes of fame as opposed to like, do you uh-huh. want to build something here? But the, what uh, he's, he's great. He's a great presence, like physically in the movie. But he has this monologue outside the bus where he's like screaming about like basically giving exposition on why he's there doing that. And he's like, "We come in here, we play reggae music, and then we do this. It's good music, reggae." He's <laughs> 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 just like screaming, and he's like, "I feel like the director was like more, more Jamaican, more Jamaican. Do it more Jamaican. Say more Jamaican <laughs> things." <sighs> Yeah, maybe, but yeah, I felt like that came off was a it was it seemed a little forced, yeah, and a little it was not good, clumsy, yeah, you know, it it didn't, yeah. It, but I do like his character. It's just that that scene, yeah, I was like, oh, I would have cut this scene. You don't even need it for the movie. You don't even need that whole plot line of of it. All it does is to make her seem less selfish in the end, more likable when she gives him the money, um, but. You don't even really need that. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, but I mean, I think you learn earlier that he's doing it to help out his friend, right? I mean, or was it during the monologue? I think it's I think it's the breakdown monologue where he's like, uh, you know, giving it, shouting out like he was arrested because I couldn't even understand half. Of it. He's like he was arrested for a smoke in a little grass, and then they come in here, you know. I'm like, I'm like, I make this bus, and I. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I, well, I was watching it on subtitles, so I Yeah, I mean, he had the hat, he's drinking red stripe beer. I'm like, oh, come on. Yeah, a little on the nose. A little on the nose. But, yeah, uh, it, I'm, I'm glad I, I got to watch this movie. I mean, I had never even heard of this movie until you mentioned it to me. Uh, and it fit, fit in perfectly with our uh, uh, rest of our choices for the set. So, um Hopefully you watched along with us if you're listening or you've seen it in the past. I, I can't imagine there's a ton of conversations, hour-long conversations about, ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous Steins. But mm-hmm. we are putting one out there, so hopefully uh, maybe we said some things that you noticed as well. Or you can always go to our Facebook and write what you thought about, ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous Steins. And you can tell us who you think ripped that movie off. Uh, we know that it was the White Stripes. We know that it was Kathleen Hanna. And we know that it was Frank Miller uh, now. <laughs> but we're interested to see who you think ripped it off. And which leaves us with one more episode in our four-part Ladies of Rock set. And if you are a constant listener, you know what that means. It's playlist time. Oh, boy. Playlist time. Now, so we're going to do a Ladies of Rock playlist. Mm-hmm. I don't think we need to qualify. I don't think we need... I, th- I, th- I, th- I feel like the title of it says it enough. You could take it in what direction you want to go with. Uh, but there's probably going to be a lot of ladies on this playlist. I'm guessing. I'm guessing. But, so remember, we still have to... Our, our, our main you know, our, our, uh, uh, keystone songs, which are going to be, uh, you know, a Susie Quattro song. A oh yeah. We already picked those, didn't we? Song. Yeah. yeah uh-huh. Oh wait, did I make that list? I'll go back and listen to it. <laughs> that's I, I a good did, thing I about a, I that, I, that's a good thing about a podcast is you can always go back and listen to it. <laughs> um, so. I'm looking forward to. Th- I mean, I'm oh no, I know what it was. I know what it was. I because I was going to call an audible. I was going to call an audible on one of those choices. Um, Jay, I allowed Jay to bully me into compromising, and here is one I'm going to take back. Susie Quattro, okay, okay. I'm going to take back. I'm going to take this back because I was after I don't we. Mind if you take it back. After we did the that. podcast, I I we and I listened. I was listening, cleaning the house, listening to more of that Susie Quattro, just like everything's on there. And I think we we picked um, uh, Devil Drive, is what? No, we picked a, a crashed. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, what is forty eight crash? Forty eight crash. Forty eight crash. Uh-huh. And I I said wild one. And I'm gonna I'm gonna have to put my foot down, Jay, and I'm gonna have to say wild one because I I listened to those back to back several times, and I'm like, <laughs> wild one is just a fucking kick ass song, and. I need it to be on the playlist. You can have the other ones, Jay. That's fine. No, that's, that's not fine. Me. Give me a wild I, one. I, I want this on the playlist. That one was kind of a weak one. It was kind of a weak one. I'm like, uh, I'm like, okay, I'll, you know, so I'll give you, I'll definitely give you that. All right, for sure. So. I was, I couldn't sleep all week. I said, this <laughs> son of a bitch talked me into it. I was like, yeah, Forty Eight Crash. It, Forty Eight Crash is a good song, but I was like, listen, I'm like. Ugh. I go in that podcast playlist when I'm listening to it because I listen to these podcast these playlists over and over again. It's gonna bother me if when I get to Susie Quattro, I'm hearing Forty Eight Crash instead of Wild One. You just think about how bully I was. Yeah, and it will ruin the whole playlist for me. <laughs> no, I'll give you that for sure. All right. Well, if you want to so, hear the rest of our choices, uh, I know I want to hear Jay's choice. He'll be sending that to me later this week in the upcoming weeks, and I'll be sending him my. Top seven. He'll be sending me his top seven. We're going to add our Rock Doc ladies, our four choices with that to the list. And uh, we're going to come up with a nice little playlist for you to, you know, the weather's heating up. You want to rock out, not with your cock out, with your cock in, tucked. (laughs) Uh, It's called the Ladies of Rock Cock Tuck. We're making that a thing. (laughs) 
When you listen to our playlist, we suggest that you tuck it back, sit on it, and spin. <laughs> none of the none of my opinions uh, reflect the opinions of this podcast. <laughs> Does it not? Oh, no, I'm totally against that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is your third episode in the Ladies of Rock set. And until the next uh, episode, across from me is Jay and I am Travis. And we will catch you on the next Pop Wave. Banzai!